You are listening to the teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, Walk. This six-week series through the book of Jude looks at seven pursuits vital to the Christian's life and forward progress in their faith. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are in the book of Jude. We're going to end up the series today. If you'd turn there for me, turn with me there to the book of Jude. Jude has one chapter. We're going to be looking at one verse today. Um, Actually, check that. We'll probably end up looking at a a couple more, but we're going to really focus in on one. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one um, underneath the chair in front of you. That will be page uh, 1027. Um, A few weeks ago... Um, our family went camping uh, with another family, and if you are like me, the woods present a whole new woods and nature things like that present a whole new level, uh, a whole new world of, of fears. So if you're from the city and you go out in the woods, there's like a whole new fear. You know, you have to get used to, namely things like bugs and ticks and um, no air conditioning. I mean, it's really scary. And um, I mean, I can get. I'm used to gunshots and traffic and things like that, but bugs and ticks are a whole other thing. And so, I mean, the idea that a a tick could be boring in my skin at any moment, or one of my kids, I mean, it just, so we're like checking our kids every 10 minutes. I mean, just totally freaked out, like check, like we're the TSA or something, you know, just, and I'm just kidding, we weren't that uh, aggressive. But anyway, we are checking them regularly, and just to see if they have ticks, and, and maybe just maybe, you know, we, our, our fear was a bit unfounded because it was a, a new territory. Maybe it was a little bit ir- irrational, but a fear that wasn't irrational uh, was the fear that any one of these little toddlers would jump into the fire uh, because all they know is that it's, it's, it's orange and it's pretty and it's magical and all of that, and they want to touch it, and they want to touch it, you know, basically all the time, and and so we're, we're, you know, like every once in a while, you know, the parents, oh, don't do that, don't do that, and just chasing after them. And, and just there was, a, there was this fear around these kids uh, getting into uh, the fire, playing with the fire, and doing different things. And uh, we, we're trying to keep, uh, keep them, not, even, not, not just that they would get into the fire, but they didn't even get even close to the fire. And so we we're, 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 we're have this fear. We have this kind of protection mindset because we realize, you know, you know, fire plus little girl plus contact equals pain, equals a lot of trouble. And so I bring this all up because really kind of the vibe of what we're going to read today out of 23 is this fear that Jude has about uh, his, these believers that he has responsibility for. They, you, know, you, you, call, you know, he's looking after them, he's leading them, and he's, he has this fear and he wants us to have the same fear, like just with your children. You want your kids to, to respect, to have fear of this fire. You want them to respect. You want them to have fear of uh, the road or whatever, you know, traffic, those kinds of things. And so I, I, I want to read that verse to us. The first uh, part of this verse in 22, it kinda, it's kind of one big sentence. Um, uh, Jude, uh, Jude writes to them, and, and basically he's wanting to bring this new uh, l- a level of fear to them. Uh, the big picture here is that there's a group of believers who are at risk of falling away. Uh, they were being led astray by sin. They were being led astray by false teachers. 
and part of Jude's instruction to the, to the community is, hey, let's be, let's be merciful to those who doubt, who don't have all the answers figured out. We talked about that last week. You know, don't marginalize them. Don't vilify them. In fact, go after them. Be like Jesus. Seek them. Save them. Uh, create lots of space for them. Um, be merciful to them. And then he rounds out this thought in verse 23, which we're going to read. Uh, save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And the overarching mindset, like I said, is mercy, one of mercy. That people who are struggling, people who are falling away in sin, that the overarching attitude is, is what they need. M- most doubters, what they need is grace. They need space. They need understanding. They need mercy. They need empathy. And Jesus says point blank to go after them. You know, I've not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. And so the overarching theme and message that we must, must get is one of mercy and grace and not condemnation or anything like that. So at times we show mercy, but then it also says that at other times we snatch them, right? You know, most of the time we show mercy, but just like a toddler running into the fire, sometimes we got to snatch them. You know what I mean? We just got to grab them. Because uh, there's this immediate threat. Uh, they're being pulled away. These believers are being pulled away by false teaching. And we haven't talked about this yet, really. But one of the big themes of Jude is false teachers. And teachers aren't just people who come up like this and wear a face mic. But teachers are in the community. Um, actually, the Bible says that we're all meant to teach each other. Uh, and in fact, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, part of the problem in the church is that, some of, that there's not enough teachers. That some of you should be teachers by now, but you're uh, immature. You've not progressed. You've not moved on. So uh, the reality is, is that the, the church is full of just little teachers. Now, there are some people like elders who stand up and, and speak more in a, an authoritative way. But really, the whole church teaches each other. We're all called to know the word. We're all called to live by the spirit. We're all called to, to teach each other. So typically what happens and what Judah's saying is like, hey, look, I'm not worried about the guy who just kind of walks through the doors and stands up on the stage and starts talking. I mean, we can deal with that one. What he's talking about are people within the church um, who come in and they have different ideas. They have different thoughts and, and uh, they be- begin to pull people away. And that's what was happening here that Jude's speaking to. And he, he kind of points them out. He says, the, um, uh, false teachers are those who pervert. You can read this in Jude. I'm just taking this from Jude. If you go through the book there. It says, pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. So they say, hey, you know, you know we, can, we can do whatever we want. So that's part of false teaching. The other part of false teaching is they slander whatever they don't understand. There's people who knock the eye, you know, they just slander. They are grumblers and fault finders. They boast about themselves. They flatter others to their own advantage. They are scoffers and dividers. And I don't want to sound all spooky and like get everybody on edge, but I mean, false teachers come in and out of this church all the time. And maybe you're sitting next to one. Because here's the thing. I mean, we're, we want to be a, a church of grace and mercy, and we're inclusive. Our doors are open. Anyone can come in. And not only can anyone come in, but any, we want to invite people into our lives. Jesus says, I, 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 I send you out as sheep, very innocent among wolves. That's the life that we have. So there, there, there is this danger And this is the way we're supposed to live, by the way. We're supposed to live inclusive. We're supposed to live with open doors. We're supposed to be welcoming. We're supposed to be uh, believing the best. We're supposed to be doing all of these things. 
but we also live with this understanding, be with wisdom and saying, look, there, there is false teaching. False, false teaching can sprout up uh, amongst us. It, it could even happen in youth. False teach, uh, you can become a false teacher. One of the major functions of an elder is to guard the flock. We do this by teaching. We do this by setting right. Okay, this is what the Bible says. This is what truth says. I mean, of course, you can read it for yourself, and we encourage you to read it for yourself. You won't grow without it. But one of the things is we set set it through teaching. We set it through one-on-one conversations, which don't always go well. But there's this guarding thing, and we have to be aware. And, And so Jude says, hey, let's be merciful. I mean, let's not like just... You know, most people who get into false teaching, you know, they're not doing it. They're not trying to be malicious. They just kind of, let's be merciful to them. Let's give space for them. Let's, let's create lots of space for those who have wandered away to come back and be a part. Let's, let's show mercy. Some of them, we just need to come and we need to snatch them. Like a, like a kid running for a fire, we just grab them. And then the one, the, the thing that I really want to um, Focus on here is this third thing he mentions, to show mercy with fear. So we've got this mercy thing going, mixed with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So when someone is slipping away or caught in the sin, Jews said you should show mercy mixed with fear. Which means that there, it's appropriate that there's a sense of urgency when you see someone falling away. When you see someone caught in sin, there, there needs to be this urgency, this fear. It's appropriate. It's appropriate. Like if I see, you know, Josie running into the fire to a street, it's appropriate for me to have a sense of urgency about that. Even a sense of uh, the fear that drives the urgency. Like something bad is about to happen. It would be inappropriate if I felt casual. Man, I hope she's able to navigate that one. That would be an inappropriate response. It is appropriate, it's an appropriate emotion for us to have a sense of fear and a sense of urgency. And so in my sense of grabbing her or going, hey, don't do that. The tone of my, she's more scared about the tone of my voice than she is the fire. She's not afraid of the fire yet. She's afraid of my voice. That's what stopped her. But that's an appropriate thing. A lack of urgency would be inappropriate. In the same way, it's very appropriate that we have a sense of fear and urgency, A, about our own sin, about our own, you know, our, us, ourselves being pulled away. We need, we need to have a sense of urgency about that, not complacency, urgency. And urgency about it when we see it in the lives of our brothers and sister, sisters, knowing it's very, very destructive. Jude says it's a way of showing mercy. It's a way of showing concern, snatching them out of the fire. It's very, very important that we have very big thoughts about sin, especially in a church like ours. Because we're, I mean, we're big on God's mercy and His grace, and we're always going to err that way. We want to we love and extend. We want open doors, open lives, open homes, open everything. We want to we live that way. We want to be gracious and merciful. And it's, it's very easy for something to get caught up where it's kind of like, well, you know, we could just, you know, why don't we just keep sinning? You know, if it, God's gracious, you know, who really cares? And we can be casual because God's going to, you know, he's going to make it all right in the, you know, in the end. And, you know, we could just be casual about it because, hey, God's casual. No, God's not casual about sin. The wrath of God poured upon Jesus. The cross was a violent thing. 
physically, emotionally, spiritually. But, you know, this, this idea got uh, kind of crept up in the Roman church, and Paul speaks into that. He, they ask the question, hey, you know, if God's grace is so amazing, should, you know, shouldn't we just keep on sinning? Paul's like, no, don't you understand? This is, this is a very famous verse, and it's Romans 6.23. He writes to the Roman believers. He says, the wages of sin is death. Sin has a direction. It has a path. It ends up somewhere. Let me tell you where it ends. It ends in death. So the idea, don't, don't, don't be lackadaisical about sin. Jesus died for sin. He had to die. He suffered at, on the cross because of sin. We should have big, 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 big thoughts about sin. Now, yes, God's grace is there, but it's not something we should be casual about. There should be this urgency. So, in fact, Jude says, look, we want to keep a distance from sin, so much so that we hate even the garment that's stained by sin. And so we, it's not just that, you know, I'm, I, it's not like I just get concerned about Josie when she actually puts her hand in the fire. It's when she even, like, you know, threatens the edge of the fire. And so he's saying, hey, look, we, we should be concerned, obviously, that, we, that there would be sin, but we should even get concerned when, when we find ourselves that our heart is approaching sin or we see brothers and sisters that we love headed that way. There needs to, we need to even hate the garment that's stained by sin. We need to have an urgency about that. So what does that look like for us? Well, first of all, it means that we're going to take, seriously, going to take sin seriously in our own lives first so important to like examine ourselves first before we just kind of go around you know blazing guns and pointing things out it's like hey look where am i in danger that's what jesus says in in uh matthew 7 we'll have this on the screen here for you jesus writes why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own or how can you say to your brother let me take that speck out of your eye when there's this log in your own eye you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is helpful in a lot of ways. First of all, it's, it's going to help us to be merciful and sympathetic. If, if, if we carry on the illusion that everyone else sins and you're, you know, we're, I'm perfect, then you're always going to come at it at, a, at not a loving angle, not a sympathetic angle. You're always going to be judging. You're always, even though we should speak the truth, if you're not examining your own life and your own sin, anytime you try to point it out to someone else, it's just going to be, in, it's, going to be it's not going to be sympathetic. It's not going to be merciful. And, and the overarching theme here is that we need to be merciful. Um, the other thing, so it's kind of like before you go and you say, hey, brother, you know, I see some lust in your life. You know, dress it lust in your own life. Before you go to some, you know, sisters, you go to another sister and say, hey, you know, I want to talk about bitter. Address the bitterness in your own life. First, secondly, it will guard you from sim- simply attacking someone else's personality or preference and not actually sin. A lot of times that happens in a church. If you're not really sober-minded about your own life, you can confuse um, personality or a philosophy of life with sin. So there's a whole, you know, this, especially with you know with parents, you know, there's private school, home school, and public school. You know, that, that's, a, that's a choice in life. What we don't do as believers is go around saying, well, you should homeschool, you should private school, you should do this, you should do that. You know, I'm going to talk to you about this is a serious issue. I mean, we want to help each other, encourage each other, give information. But that's, that's a philosophy of life issue. That's not a sin issue. So we don't go around and, and telling people about how they should live their lives. We, we, we address issues that are actually sin issues. 
who you vote for. Whether the, you know, a wife stays home or stay-at-home moms and, or go-to-work moms and there's all this kind of philosophy of life and this is what we think is really important, this is what we think is really important. Those, are, those tend to be more dear to us. Those kind of issues tend to be more dear to our heart than actually issues of, of righteousness and sin. I think we just have to be careful. So that's why if we're examining our own lives, the speck in our own lives, the log in our own uh, lives, our own eyes, will be less likely to be judgmental. So it's hugely important. However, if we're going to be truly merciful and loving, we do want to address those issues. There's this verse in Romans 12. Paul writes to the Romans that I just think is so helpful for this. He writes to them, this is talking about just really what Christian community looks like. He says, let love be genuine, abhor, which means to have a strong distaste for, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Uh, Paul says for uh, our love to be genuine for one another, for it to be authentic, and we love authentic things, for it to be authentic, for it to be without um, hypocrisy, uh, that, uh, that we, need to, we need to be zealous. We need to, to really be upset and have this kind of churning in our stomach when we see destructive forces in the lives of people we love. For love to be genuine, we need to actually hate this e- evil. We need to hate the evil in our own lives. We need to hate the evil in other people's lives. We don't hate people. We hold fast to what is good, but we have a strong distaste for that. I mean, how many people here like cancer? I mean, you love cancer. I mean, you like um, stay out in the sun all the time. Uh, you do x-rays multiple times. That you snort asbestos. I mean, you, like, you really want cancer. Like, that's you. you really, you're, you're reading about how can I get cancer more often. No. I, uh, cancer killed my grandfather. It killed my cousin. It killed a friend of mine. It almost killed another friend of mine. And all these people are very, very close. I abhor cancer. I hate it. Uh, I have a strong distaste for cancer. I would not want my worst enemy to have cancer. I am up for doing whatever would reduce cancer in my life and the life of those I love. So before we go to the pool, we put like SBF 7500 on my kids and their little white pasty legs. And we, want, we don't want any cancer. And she doesn't like it. But if my love for her is genuine... If it's sincere, if it's real, I'm not going to be lazy and apathetic about the things that are going to ultimately destroy her. And for you and I need to have the same way, just as no one would say, hey, yeah, I think it's great that, you know, it's fine. You know, hey, if you want cancer, that's up to you. You know, it's, it's your choice. Now, look, if we, if we understand, we, we're people who have been, God has revealed things to us. He's revealed his love. He's revealed his grace. He's revealed his mercy. Some of us are still discovering what that means. We haven't quite entered into that yet. Seeing Jesus as our Savior, receiving what he has for us. But the, for those of us who have, we, we know what this is. We know what sin is. It would, be, it would be inappropriate for us to have a casual attitude. Hypocritical is, um, in the Greek, is a theatrical term, which means to speak behind the mask. When you're hypocritical, you speak behind a mask. And we, we want to be genuine. And so we're, a love that's hypocritical, that's not real at all, is, is a love that is, is speaking behind a mask. So what that looks like is that you, you never let anyone know how you're really doing. You speak behind a mask. It's hypocritical. And, and you're hypocritical in how you address 
issues in other people's lives. And we don't want to pretend at Jubilee. We don't want to wear the mask. We don't, we, we don't want to play that game. We can't afford to play that game. We can't afford to be the, the group of people who understand uh, what the externals look like of a changed life. So like, what, you know, this is what church people do. These are externals. I do these behaviors. I don't do these other behaviors. And so we can't get in this game where we, okay, this is, we play these externals, but actually there's really nothing happening inside of our hearts. The Bible says we can't uh, uh, play that game, and we just can't afford it. We want to be real. We want to be genuine. We want to be authentic. So we want to we speak truth to each other. As Jude says, it says to hate the clothing stained by sin. So to hate the clothing stained by sin is to love the person, is to love the sinner. To be okay with, to be apathetic by the clothing stained by sin is to hate the sinner, is to not love them. So what will it be for you? What's the vision for your life? Is it to, is it to isolate yourself from people, to know you, from loving you, from actually speaking truth to you? Or is the vision of your life to, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be open, I want to be accountable, I want other people to be in my life, and I want, to, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that, helping people grow in this area. So how do we do this practically? We're going to end with this, which will take a few minutes here, but I want to give us just a few things to do this practically. How do we... How do we do what Jude says? How do we hate even the garment stained by sin? How do we hate it for our, in our own lives? And how do we, uh, you know, loving each other, being merciful to each other, but how do we express this to others as well? Number one, you, you got to build relationship. This is the foundation for this to happen. This does not happen outside of relationship. If you don't get to know people, and this is on you, I mean, we all want to, we, we need to help each other. We want to be receptive, but you need, to, you, need, you need to pursue relationship. You need to build relationship with people at this church. You need to build a relationship with people who are going to see you, who are going to love you, who are going to speak truth into your life. You need to build a relationship. Because what I'm talking about is pretty heavy stuff. It's, I mean, it's pretty intense. It's pretty personal. It's, you know, if I, if I, you know, if I, you know, if we've known each other for a week or so, and I came up to you and said, hey, you know what, I just think you're loving your wife all wrong. I mean, you might punch me in the face. I mean, you might just be like, who are you, man? But if you know that I love you, if you know that I really have concern for you, and that's what happens when someone speaks truth to us like this, we go one of two ways. One, we're like, oh, I'm horrible. I'm, you know, I'm a loser. You're right. You know, I never get anything right. I'm a terrible person. So we go down that road. Or we get all pride and arrogant. And we begin to like talk down things in their life. So it's kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm happy you know, noticed the speck in my eye. I'm surprised you can notice that with that big fat log coming out of your head. So why don't you deal with your log and we'll deal with my speck afterwards. And so you begin to discredit in their life. You get all like defensive. But man, amazing things can happen if they're a relationship. I, I, it's kind of like a bridge. You've got to, in order, to, relationship is the bridge. And you've got this 10 ton uh, message to bring. So if you've got a 10-ton message, you better have a 10-ton bridge or stronger that can handle it. So if you've got a one-ton uh, capacity bridge and you try to bring 10 tons over that, it's just going to crumble and go bad. But if you've got a strong relationship, you can, you can carry heavy loads over that. You can receive heavy loads and you can give heavy loads. It's so important. If you're not building relationships, you're doing, you're, you are not doing 95% of what the Bible says. 
I mean, if I had the time, I'd unpack everything the Bible says and I, I, in the New Testament about how you should live as a Christian. And 95% of it involves other people or more. You, you have to build relationships. Secondly, you have to, um, uh, which is why community groups are so huge. It's a place to connect. Uh, it's a place to meet people. It, it's not, it, it's not, it's, a, it's the beginning point. It's not the ending point because you can show up to a group and just check out and not really pursue anyone or, or allow someone to pursue you. So, but building relationships is crucial. And secondly, which is, which dovetails into this is regularly invite input into your life. Let's be honest. Um, these conversations that I'm talking about are very difficult. I mean, some of you that are new, like this is your first time, you're squirming, you're like, man, I want to get out of here. And, uh, you know, you're just like, <laughs> I don't want anyone to have these conversations. So it's, it's a difficult conversation. It is a life-saving conversation. It is a marriage-saving conversation. It is a parent-son relationship-saving conversation. But it's a hard conversation, let's be honest. Very hard conversation. It takes a lot of courage. I don't think you have to be afraid of someone coming into you today or tomorrow, like starting to point things out to you. Because even when you do invite that into your... It is a, it is a scary thing. If the person's semi-normal, it is a very scary thing for them to come to you with this kind of information. Very difficult. They have to overcome all kinds of fear obstacles and what-ifs. They've overplayed, they've played the conversation in their head a million times before they come and talk to you. It is, it is a very difficult conversation. So with that being said, wouldn't it be better if you just invited that in and made it easy on them? If you really want this in your life, instead of waiting for someone else, well, hey, you know, no one's talking to me about things. My life must be perfect. Maybe you should go to them and say, hey, will you, if you notice anything in my mind, will you come please speak to me? And then once you do that, the next week say, hey, did you, have you noticed anything this past week? Have you noticed anything this past month? Is there anything that you could, you could speak into my life? Invite in. If you're serious about this, if you want this for you, I want to encourage you to invite it into your life. Uh, thirdly, be gracious. Let's be gracious and merciful. And let's be, you know, receive grace from God. But let's be aggressive and let's kill complacency. One of the biggest killers... Uh, for us on this issue is just being complacent. I mean, that's what Jude says. Hey, hey, hate even the, like the, the garment stained by the flesh. Don't, don't just wait until like your little girl jumps into the fire to get concerned. Get concerned when it's, they start to approach the fire. Hate even the garment. So let's, let's not be complacent about this. Uh, that's one of the biggest enemies uh, in your life is going to be just apathy and complacency about this. Think about um, the Israelites uh, during the Exodus. If you're new to your Bibles, it's, it's, the Bible's broken up in two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament is very explicit. It, it's very, it has, there's a lot of, there's narrative as well, but there's a lot of like, just this is principle, this is what you, so Jude's like, hey, be this way, be that way, be this way. This is what your life is like. This is what Jesus did for you. In the Old Testament, you've got this story of God's people that really kind of foreshadow really what our lives are like. And and in the Exodus, which if you read the first 15 chapters of Exodus, it's this wonderful story about how God saved the um, 
uh, the Israelites from the bondage of the Egyptians, which tells us a lot about our own salvation. I encourage you to read it very much. Uh, it's very, very helpful. But there's one uh, passage that I want to uh, uh, point to uh, that God was rescuing them, and Pharaoh was kind of getting fed up with all the, the plagues, and so he's, he's beginning to concede, and he makes this statement, Exodus 8. Let me, let me show this to you. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord. Hey, so I'll let you go. You're free. I'll let you go uh, to your Lord in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far. Here's what the enemy of our soul wants to do. He knows he can't ultimately win. He knows that he can't uh, keep us in Egypt, so to speak. But he'll do whatever he can so that you don't go very far. The moment you become a Christian, you have this instantaneous and permanent transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You are his. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the power of sin is broken. The penalty of sin is, is broken. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And every time someone goes from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I mean, heaven throws a party. Um, hell goes into depression. I mean, Satan has to pop a Prozac every time someone comes in because he's just, it's permanent. He knows that he'll never, ever, ever get that one back, ever. If you're a believer, you need to know that. You need to know that you are a, a son and a daughter, uh, that you belong to Christ. He, he's, you've been purchased with his uh, very blood. He paid a big price for you. He's never going to let you go. If he went to that length to win you back, he's not going to say, okay, you know, I'll, t- I'll take him back now. You're his. It's, it's permanent. So the enemy of our he knows that he can't, that we're out of bondage. But what he'll try to do, he'll, he'll try to keep us from not going very far. If he, if he can't keep us in Egypt... He'll try to make sure that Egypt doesn't leave us. He'll try to make us ineffective. And one of the ways is just casual toward sin. That's why Jude says to hate even the garment that's stained. Don't grow comfortable with this. Some of us just grow apathetic about it. About sin in our own lives. Well, yeah, everyone does it. This is, this is, well, yeah, okay, yeah, that may be true. But don't go apathetic about it. It's keeping you in bondage. It's keeping you ineffective. God has a race for us to run. He's got amazing things for us. The writer of the Hebrews says that there's this race to run. So to cast off sin that entangles us, it slows us down. The enemy wants to make sure that we don't go very far. God's wanting us to break us free so that we go as far as he's called us to go. Don't grow complacent or you won't get to where... God would have you go, finally, finally, I want to kind of even this out a little bit, is that we need to entrust ourselves and others to God. We need to ultimately understand that we're not Messiah, that we're not the Savior of the world. Jesus is. Our role is to connect people to Jesus and not actually be Jesus for them. So while we should say things to people, we should speak truth to people, Ultimately, we need to entrust them to God, to Jesus. Um, 
some of you may be wondering why this pig is up here. And say hi to the pig. Okay, let me show you one of the strangest verse in the Bible, one of the strangest things that Jesus ever said. Can we have that, Matthew 7? Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Has anyone else thought, man, this is a strange verse? Like, I don't even understand what this means. I mean, it says, so don't throw your pearls before swine. Here, buddy. I mean, so it's kind of like, you know, people are like, you know, like, you know, I just like, you know, today I was just looking at my pig and I was just so tempted to throw pearls before swine. I mean, I was just so like, it's just something I wanted. But, you know, Jesus says don't do it. So I best, you know, that's enough for me. The light has shown. Don't throw pearls before swine. And um, you see, the problem with this teaching is that it's like never, it was something I've never been tempted to do. I've never... I've like never like wanted to throw pearls before swine. You know, people say, hey, you know, it's just like throwing pearls before swine. I'm like, really? I don't have pearls and I don't have any swine. So I don't really, I don't understand. I don't really understand what's, maybe if I do that, what's going on with this teaching. And maybe you're the same way. I don't know. Well, what's before the pig part? If you back up in the text, Matthew 7, 1. It's the whole do not judge part. Judge not that you be judged. So the part before the pig is the do not judge part. Well, what's the part before that? The part before that is the end of Matthew 6. And, he's, and this is verse 25. says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 32 ends wonderfully, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So before the pig part is the do not judge. Before the do not judge part is... Do not be anxious. So, so Jesus says, do not be anxious. Then he says, do not judge. And then he says, do not throw pearls before swine. He's, you see, so he starts off, and this is a huge, this is like Jesus' inaugural message. And he's saying, he's talking about what the kingdom is like. And he's saying... He's saying, do not be anxious for where you'll live. He's saying, look, in the kingdom, uh, you need to entrust your physical needs to God. This is very central in the life of Jesus. Life in the kingdom means entrusting yourself, your physical needs, everything to God. And then he says, life in the kingdom is entrusting others to God. One of the ways that we don't entrust others to God is that we judge them. Judging is I'm condemning you, I'm marginalizing you, I'm, I'm in my own way, I'm trying to get you to see things my way and hopefully you'll change or shame you or you know, push you to the side or just get rid of you or whatever. So one of the ways that we do not trust, we do not trust others to God as is, is we do that. We, we condemn them. And so Jesus says we're not to do that, that we're not to, we're not to shout at people, we're not to yell at people, we're not to like, just go around and, and uh, you know, condemning. So it's, you're not entrusting 
So he says over here, he says, okay, entrust your physical needs to God. That's what the kingdom is. The other thing he says is entrust others to God. One of the ways that we refuse to trust others is that we, we, take, um, we take a negative thing. We, we do it through negativity. It's a way of controlling people, a way of manipulating people. It's like, don't do that. Another way that we, tr- we don't entrust others to God and we refuse to do this is that we control people with good things. We control people with bad things, but we also control people with good things. And so when you throw pearls before swine, it's not something bad to something. Pearls are good, right? I mean, you agree. Pearls are a good thing. Pearls are a great thing. Pigs have a purpose. So it's it's not something good to something bad. And it's not necessarily something good to something good. It's something good to something that doesn't necessarily appreciate its value. I mean, a pig has no idea what pearls are. He doesn't know what to do with them. He doesn't, he doesn't know their value. He, I mean, he doesn't know. He is unable to Appreciate them. How many kids do you know that had Christian education rammed down their throat at a stage of development that wasn't appropriate, and now they have they want nothing to do with it? Christian education is a very good thing. It's a pearl. But maybe, just maybe, that that kid was at a stage of development where he was unable to appreciate its value. Let me take it into what we're talking about today. I have people in my life, friends and relatives, that I love very, very dearly. I have some things that I think are very good for them. I would say, not because they come from me, but become from Jesus through Scripture, that are pearls. I think that some of them are in a place where they're unable to understand its value. What I shouldn't do as a way of, because I want to, I want my heart to be aligned with God and his kingdom, is I want to entrust my life and my physical needs to God. I want to do that. I also want to learn and grow in entrusting others to God as well. It doesn't mean I don't say things, but I need to, I need to discern, I need to understand that I could be throwing pearls before someone who doesn't understand or appreciate them and actually end up pushing. In fact, if this pig could walk, uh, if I started throwing pearls at him, he'd probably honk and like try to run away. Not knowing that I'm actually throwing, I'm throwing pearls at you, man. You might want to collect those up. It's a threat to him. You could be throwing pearls to someone and they not understand or appreciate its value. And what you think is a good thing is actually a threat. Should you say something? Yeah, you should say something. I, I say stuff. But it's just, I wish it was black and white. I wish I could do this or do that. But it's this area where... you. 
We just have to be a little nuanced to understand, okay, maybe they're not getting this. Maybe what God would have me to do is to stand back and just to pray and listen and wait for another opportunity to come up. Maybe I shouldn't just keep throwing the pearls at their face. Those of you with parents, particularly approaching your teenage years, be in your desire. You love your kids, but you need to ent- we need to learn to entrust them to God. You can't control them with negative things, and you can't ultimately tr- control them with good things either. There's a day we just we have to entrust them to God. And no amount of throwing things at them is going to make the difference. Ultimately, this is a God thing. Ultimately, you know, we, we make the introduction, but ultimately there has to be something between them and God. And those that you love and those that you care about, we can speak truth, but ultimately it's about they, they have to see that for themselves. So I don't want to take away the punch of we must speak to each other. We must be loving enough to snatch some out of the fire and, and let's be aggressive with this. But at the same time, we also need to understand that we need to ultimately entrust them to God. And as we grow in our desire for Jesus and our love for one another, we are going to, we are going to hate sin. We're going to hate even the garment stained by sin. We're going to learn to be merciful and gracious We're not going to grow comfortable with this. And what's really going to help us in all this is to know that while while Jude says you need to get away from even the garment stained by sin, isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ actually put on this garment for us? We're called to hate the garment, this garment. But Jesus Christ, who is pure through and through, who, who had no sin at all, he put on this garment so that he could put on us a garment of righteousness. That he could put on us freedom. That he could put on us mercy. And as we move on together as a church and a community, I mean, let's, let's, let's not be apathetic about sin in our own lives, but ultimately look into Jesus to say, hey, he's taken this away from me. And constantly coming to him for grace and mercy. Constantly bringing our lives before him. Constantly bringing the lives of those that we love before him as well. Why don't you get out your communication card?